I'm Laura Harper-Lake. And I'm Sarah Reitzman, and you're you're listening listening to Creative Guts. Hello, friends. We hope you are doing well. This episode is a very special one, as this week Creative Guts is celebrating one year of episodes. We started out on July 3rd of 2019, releasing our introduction episode. From there, we dove into the hearts of creatives just as we set out to do. What a dream come true for us. So we decided what better way to celebrate than to play a clip from each episode celebrating all the gutsy creatives we've interviewed. Sarah and I are so humbled that we got to meet and chat with all these inspiring people and feel so lucky to now call them friends. I, Laura, am welcoming you in this episode, and Sarah will be ending the episode with some important words after all the clips have rolled. Please enjoy this episode with, well, everyone we've interviewed in the past 365 days of Creative Guts. Episode 1, Intro Time. Welcome to Creative Guts. We're so excited that you found us. Uh, If you stumbled upon our podcast or know us personally, either way, welcome. We're very excited to share with you all things creative and inspiring. What she said. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) So we decided, how did this start? We decided that we were going to start a podcast. I burst into your office and said, want to start a podcast? And I was like, sure. Yeah, that sounds It fun. was that quick. She said yes immediately with no to little thought. Yeah. There was very little hesitation on my part because I really like to hear myself talk. I really like to talk. Even if nobody's <laughs> listening, that's fine. <laughs> Although somebody's listening if you're hearing this. Yeah. We started working together and then we started becoming you know, work friends where you're kind of friends, but you're kind of forced to be friends. And then we started becoming real, real friends. And um, yep, I think our conversations are always delightful and entertaining to, at the very least, us. That's true. And um, we wanted all of you to benefit from the sheer delight that is a conversation between Sarah and Laura. <laughs> or maybe you'll hate us, but if you do... Don't worry, because we're not talking all the time. A lot of times we're talking with creative people right. who have guts, right? literally and figuratively. So the whole gist of this podcast is that we wanted to explore the pursuit of creativity. So people who are creative through their work or through their passion projects on the side or both if they're super lucky. Mm-hmm. Rose Bryant. Uh, The sizes that I work in depend on the day. Uh, Some days I feel like big arm movement, and some days I feel like small hand movement. So sometimes it may depend on what what time I have or what the day is. Mm. Uh, I have progressed from doing things that were a little more representational, but not extremely. In the beginning, I always still had sort of a less uh, less representational aspect to my art. But it's definitely, I'm enjoying, like I said, the earlier, when you get a little older, I'm enjoying that freedom of being able to make things more abstract and be in love with it and only making it for the movement or the mark making process that's on on the canvas. I typically work in colors that are very bright, but yet not garish. To me, it doesn't feel garish. Although I've run into people that, that think, whoa, this is bright. <laughs> you know, so everybody's got a sensibility someplace. So I've, I've kind of settled in this, I, I think probably happy color palettes, perhaps, mm. uh, that I enjoy. Very happy. It's very happy. In here. Yeah, Although thank you. Although one of your least happy is my favorite. It's mm. this one, which mm-hmm. we had talked about before. It's one of your only ones that where you started with a black canvas. Black canvas. And I mm-hmm. love this piece. I, I see mm-hmm. it every time I come in and I just, something about the colors you know, the darker tones. Mm-hmm. And I do like happy art, mm-hmm. but I am a bit of an emo kid deep mm-hmm. down. So maybe that's <laughs> yeah. it too. Lyle and Karen from Big Ink. Um, and I liked the idea that I could just like invent these on my own worlds, you know, like come up with my own characters. Uh, and I've, I, I've always loved that, you know, like we have this innate ability to just like create something out of nothing, just like out of our head, which is what, you know, sort of drives me as a creative person. 
I like to just spend a lot of time by myself as a child, really, <laughs> like just making, you know, just doing a lot of creative stuff. So I don't know at any point I really thought I was creative, like very early on. I just felt like it was this sort of wonderful thing that I was exploring and I was just so into it. Yeah. So, Christopher Cherum. So let's talk about uh, creative control in the kitchen throughout these various jobs and how much creative control you've had. So sometimes when you're working in a restaurant, I imagine that you're just following somebody else's recipe and sometimes you have a little more creative control to do whatever you want. So where do you sort of fall on that spectrum? The more comfortable I got with my own cooking, the more I realized that creative control is a necessity for me. Um, If I don't have creative control, I get extremely bored. Creating and the artistic side of it is what is fun for me now. You know, there's still enjoyment in cooking itself. It's still it's still a rush and it's still exciting, but it's not where the passion comes from. And passion is, for me, is a must in a job. If I'm going to dedicate that much time to anything, then I have to be passionate about it. Right now, I... I have a lot of creative control, and I'm very fortunate to have the chef owner, Brendan Vesey, there to work with me. He is great to bounce ideas off of, and he is just an absolute wealth of knowledge. Lynette Miles. It's actually harder to play, and I've heard other actors say this too, and I totally agree. It's sometimes harder to play roles that are very much like you. If if I'm playing like a crazy person, it's so much easier to, you know, like yeah. <laughs> go out of myself. And th- that's the thing that I love about acting the most is that zen of going away from yourself. Yeah, that's so interesting. So when you're singing a song that you love and really connecting to the words and the music or acting in a role or dancing and you just are so in the moment, on the flip side, have characters that you've played influenced your life or your personality or yourself hmm. over time, maybe? Or maybe not. I don't know. But I feel like I've heard some actors speak about how like they played a role for so long that yeah. influenced either the way they talk or maybe what they thought about something. It's hard to say, like, just getting older and evolving as a person has that come have some of the roles I've played yeah. played into that or is it just living life and because I've definitely changed since I was in my 20s I mean we all do yeah. right but we um, hope so <laughs> <laughs> Raphael Bastek aka Bug yeah the French the, the uh, nine songs I would say feel very similar and then the tenth one Whatsoever is the one which is on our teaser trailer, folks. Um, is a totally different vibe, and so I guess I'm curious: what, how is the creative progression happening within the first album, within the second album, between the two? You know, that's really interesting. I haven't listened to the the soundtrack volume two, but I did listen to the French album, and I did notice whatsoever is completely different than the rest of the songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with um, with music creation, and really with all. Um, all other kind of creative mediums that I like to pursue, it all comes sort of in phases with me. Uh, I I have many hobbies, but I I never pursue any one of them with like a singular focus. So for example, I like creating music, I like drawing, I like to write, but I never am pursuing all three of those at the same time. So I'll go many months without writing any musical material and then something will inspire me and then I'll enter a period of hyperactivity. And so with Soundtrack Volume 1, that was the first piece of um, music that I had worked on in a long time. And you know, multiple months or years or what have you had passed before I had tried to make um, some sort of cohesive effort like that. And that one, interestingly enough or not, um, was all began as I was playing the video game Tetris Effect. Um, Which you gave me yes. for Christmas. Yeah. I love that game. I, I'm a I'm a big fan of it. Uh, I was actually playing it before here and I considered texting you to cancel because I just wanted to sit on my couch uh, and play more. Um, but I didn't do it and I'm, I'm proud glad. of myself Thank for you. not doing that because it was real close. Uh, um, That's why you were late. 
Yes. I don't blame you. It's <laughs> yes, an addicting game. Actually... It's a... Deb Wheeler Bean. There are so many students that you could never forget. Yeah. I, I mean, I have, and I, I write down their stories. I write them in my journal. You know, they're, and I can't, I write poems about them. Ah, so they're influencing your work Hugely. and what you're producing. Hugely. When I took a sabbatical six years ago, I thought, wow, I can really make, I can really create during these, this six month time. I was really dry. I always tell them I am as influenced and inspired by you as you are by me, probably more so because of their energy, their excitement, their openness. Yeah. I feel that in in having a studio in an artist collective with nine other artists, you know, I can definitely see a massive difference in my quantity and quality of what I produce I from before that to after that. So to be around that number of children who have unharnessed creativity, like they're not, you know, uh, bridled in by doubt or fear or, you know, yeah. I got to get a job <laughs> that pays yeah. the bills. They're just making art. They're just living what mm-hmm. they're experiencing. And they don't really care what it looks like or have these like worries about putting it out into the mm-hmm. world and being judged. And they're just, they're just playing with clay. They're yeah. just like, you know, playing with paint. Angela Garcia. Not only that I love to dance, but one other thing too, is that I loved to perform. I'm a performer. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom always says this story that the first time she went to watch me perform, I was young. And uh, the dance piece actually started facing the back and we turned to the audience. And she said that she vividly remembers waiting in the audience and saying, when she turns around and sees all these people, I don't know what's going to happen. She might freak out. And she said, as soon as I turned around, my face was like, Yes. <laughs> It's showtime. <laughs> it's showtime. So I think, you know, really deep down, I knew from the very beginning. And so it was just kind of, I'm so thankful to my parents to giving me the outlet to be that's able amazing. to explore that. Yeah. 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 And so, so cool. did you keep taking dance classes and keep expanding and growing? I did. I did. I started with like ballet, which is typical for dancers, baby mm-hmm. ballet. And then I moved on to, you know, jazz and tap and modern. And then when I got really serious with it, I went ahead and tried out for a dance company and danced with them professionally for several years. So it just kind of grew very organically. And uh, we had access to great dancers and choreographers where I was in Atlanta at the time. Will Stewart. And again, like if you're into the outdoors, you know this is the place for you. But what if you're not? You know, mm-hmm. what if you're into community theater or slam poetry or, you know, dancing or singing into the crowd? We have all of those things here, but I think we just do such a poor job of promoting ourselves and kind of tooting our own horn a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I have some existential theories about why that is, but the fact is, is that, you know, we all, and when I say we, you know, from the state government, you know, on down to our organizations, to us individually, I think we all need to do a much better job of, you know, kind of tooting our own horn and talking about and celebrating, you know, what we do have. Because if people don't know about it, then that's that perception. They, you know, perception can be reality. And if they think it's not here, then they're apt to move someplace where they think that it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we Creative Guts are super happy to do our part helping to promote mm-hmm. and raise some awareness for all of these great uh, arts and cultural amenities across the state. And I am super excited to just like, you know, tell that secret. I'm not a very good secret keeper, apparently. Well, Sarah, you'll have to uh, let us know. You may have heard that Stay, Work, Play were coming out with these things called Insider's Guides uh, for the state. And this is something that uh, we're doing to really kind of help battle that perception you know, of New Hampshire as kind of a sleepy, boring place with, with nothing to do and, and an uninteresting place, which, again, I think is completely unfair. And uh, so one of the things we're doing is putting together these guides for each region of the state to really share some of those best-kept secrets that I mentioned. Zach Little. that thing and like ride it to something more positive. I guess that's what's going on right now anyway with the podcast. That's awesome. So do you think creativity is a product of your environment or is it some nature in there too? Oh, that's a tricky question. I think it's both. It's Yeah. I think that, I mean, I grew up, I was not like uh, athletic. Um, I did not really like to be outside uh, I like to like stay stay indoors in the basement and like watch MTV and like you know 
I didn't have a lot of close friends early on in my life. And really, being creative was, in fact, one way to just, like, get friends. You know, like, I started a public access TV show, and that was, like, something for us to do because I didn't want to play basketball. You know, like, when you're, like, a, <laughs> when you're like a 15-year-old boy, what do you do? So, you know, we started a – I started a band, and I started a public access TV show, and I just kind of, like, kept – piling these creative projects on top of each other as like a way of being social. I'm probably still doing that with the podcast, right? You get to just sit yeah. down and talk to somebody you want to talk to. Beth Wittenberg. I, I feel the exact same way. Yeah. I, I like when I'm lost <laughs> and I don't even realize that I'm there and I don't yes. even like nothing, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm satiated. I'm not <laughs> thirsty. I'm not, I'm nothing. I'm just part. I'm yeah. just part of the art. You know, it's just it. There's a good. I don't know. I just. I always feel like I'm listening. Mm-hmm. I'm just in in the flow. And a lot of people talk about that, like in terms of meditation. And I do think that. Um, I also. I, I'm like you. I process my feelings through my artwork. Mm-hmm. I. I. It's it's cathartic, but it's. Um, it's almost like I. You were talking about Rose Bryant and being kinetic. Yes. And so for me, that's how a piece starts. That's especially what I like about a large format and and large scale Mm -hmm. is that I can extend my limbs and I can put marks as far as I can reach up to the, you know, as far as my hand will extend and, you know, just everywhere. I can, I can touch it and I can, I I like that. Mm -hmm. Robert Brooks. The the creative side behind it of like discussing how it was all going to look was a, a collaborative thing, but like actually like orchestrating everything was basically just me being out of my mind. Like yeah. the year before we did the Kickstarter, um, I was at PaizoCon and I pulled a couple of my uh, author friends aside and I was like, all right, come up to my room. We're going to talk, sit down, like have a couple drinks and I'm going to throw a crazy idea by you and see what you think. And, I gave them basically the elevator pitch about what the setting was. Mm-hmm. I talked about like um, the cosmology, the planets, the visual style, how it was kind of like the 1940s in space. And at the time, like there was nothing like it in Pathfinder. Mm. Um, they hadn't put out their Starfinder game yet, which is their like science fiction yep. alternative. Yeah. And um, every reaction I got was, when can I get this? And yeah. when can I work on this? So I kind of came away from that being like well all right maybe this isn't as you know wild of an idea as i expected and um i decided to look up you know how is how feasible is this like you know could i do this and you know we we put together a kickstarter and managed to raise like you know 50 something thousand dollars and from a company who no one had ever heard of an author that i hadn't done as much nearly as much when i did that i had mm-hmm. done maybe like two books three yeah. books and I pulled together a team of people that no one had ever heard of. Like I, I intentionally went out of my way to pull primarily authors who had never written anything before because mm-hmm. I'm like, if this goes through, if this works, this is your end of the industry. Yeah. And I reached out to people who just have a hard time in general getting into tabletop games or who didn't even think they could. And now they've all moved on to great stuff. Like every day I'll look on Facebook and they be like, oh, so-and-so has published a new book. And I'm like, I remember when they were first writing for me. And yeah. it's just a really great feeling to see them like go on to these really awesome things. Deborah Holloway. I really like contemporary art. <laughs> so like, I want to paint more contemporary art. I don't, you know, and my art is very like old school French. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really um, do. I don't know if I really have a piece that represent, you know, because if you look at, the art hanging in my studio you'd be like what did she say <laughs> she wants to do abstractions these are all very well we can know. we can change the question after it's more where does your heart lie as yeah. far as so the that's direction the, yeah that's mm-hmm. where it lies so yeah. and i love uh that's what i love about the art that we do at air because it isn't this like tight representational um, art. It's really more like the art that I want to make. So mm-hmm. this is the time when I would say, you know, I aspire to make art like the girls at air. That's much freer and more expressive of who they are mm-hmm. rather than what they're looking at. So that's, that's beautiful. 
Mike from Durkish Delights. Breaking news, listeners, we're doing a live show. Nice. Oh, whoops. No, it should have been this oh, one. Oh, cool. Should you crank it up? Onboard sound effects. Usually she only does mean <laughs> ones for me, like the cricket. <laughs> What's the one on the bottom right? Ooh. Unicorns. Oh, this Herbal makes me think of that Janet Jackson song every time. I love that song. I want to break into the song. <laughs> I I know no words to songs. I can <laughs> stop yeah. easily. So a while ago, yeah. you mentioned collaboration. Yeah, love and it would have been a better segue if I had asked you like 15 minutes ago. But yeah. I wanted <laughs> to talk to you about like how much collaboration plays into your creativity. Uh, like a, a lot. Like I, if I do, like I, I try to always do like graphic projects for things that I'm interested in. Uh, so typically like if say I do like a graphic or like a branding package or something like that, I like to get to know the person. A lot of times I already know the person. It's like somebody who's like up and coming, that sort of thing. And for me, it's like a matter of like coming up with a couple ideas after getting to know them and pitching them the ideas and it's just like really organic and conversational and I try to be really fun about it and like pump people up about what they're doing like I love that I think that's such a fun part about like collaborating with people is like feeding off of each other so yeah that's I guess what that looks like Nancy Pearson I wanted people to listen to me, and I figure if I ran for city council and won, people in the city and the city council would have to listen to me. <laughs> I, you know, so so that's what happened. So my arts platform was essentially, if you think about every single you know issue, I have air quotes in the air right now, every single issue that was facing Portsmouth the year that I ran, 2015, there was still around today affordable housing, parking, you know, traffic and congestion, general affordability in general. All of that touches the arts in one way or another, because where are the artists living? Where are the people parking when they come? Like, who's buying the artwork? Who's supporting the arts? Who are the patrons? Who are the artists? How many artists can even still live in this city? So it it, it all kind of connected, and I connected the dots as I was talking about my vision for Portsmouth. You know, it's a community that really identified with that, and so I got elected. Matt Wyatt. Yeah, so all of this started at my daughter's first birthday, like, birthday party. Like, she was off to bed, and we were, like, talking shop downtown. Like, how are we going to make a difference in this town? There's, like, because we knew that the city was in revitalization, and we just, we really believed that art could could help swing the pendulum a little bit. And um, and I think it has after all these years. It's like I look around and I can see the difference. Like we have like affected the the visual landscape of Rochester after like like really like trying hard. And like a lot, oftentimes we were the youngest people in the room and it was like, you know, people laughed at us like when we first started. They were like, why on earth would you ever try to start an art museum? In, you know, why would you ever try to start that? here like who nobody wants that uh, and people would tell me that and uh and now it's like you know it's the thing that's on all of the attraction brochures and like every department that's trying to get development or anything is like talking about how we have an opera house and how we have a little art museum at the community center and rochester last year was named city on the rise by new hampshire magazine with and with the credit was given to the arts community that's right. like that's something that that everyone should feel really proud of. I, I definitely am. And I, I feel really like proud that people are taking it seriously now and that they're not laughing, but they're like, they're like, okay, how can we help? Emily from Made by Emily. One, oh, I was going to say one other thing that my daughter did for me for Christmas one year was she made me a map of the United States. Because she was really proud of the fact that I had sent my jewelry to many different states. And so now when I get to send my jewelry to a different state, I just color it in with colored pencil. And it's really a fun reminder to me that I have sold all over the country. And sometimes it travels all over the world. And (laughs) that's so cool. It's really fun. (laughs) 
Sarah and I are just both melting over how freaking adorable your daughter is. Like, that's so thoughtful. Having the support of family for your creative endeavors and the success and celebrating that success is just wonderful because it's you can share it. You yes, know, it's absolutely. it's really nice. Yeah. And you're inspiring your kids. Yes. You which are. That makes like, me really proud. That's amazing. That's so great. Did you hear that, listeners? Even though she's not on Etsy, jump online and check out Made by Emily NH, and you can have one of these pieces too. And if you happen to not be a local New Hampshireite, then you know, you'll be filling in another um, box on her map. Rob Brown. kind of brought me back to you know shooting film where um i kind of got out of doing digital altogether i'm just not interested in it. i don't know i like i like the science and the math of film i think that's what i'm more interested in it's perceived to be one shot and i like i like one shot things you know wood is one shot you know if you take too much away you messed up and you have to do it all over again so it's i i kind of like that style of artwork where it's like you don't come back to it uh it's it's not it's you make it and then you're done, you know, in one thing. It's not a revisited anything. Um, maybe that's because I don't have perceived time to myself that I'm like, okay, I'm done with this. I'm moving on to the next thing so I could sleep at night. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I think it's just an agreement. I'm kind of made my, with myself to like, okay, you need to let that project go. You know, especially when you can't finish things. It has a tendency to drive me a little spooky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I got off topic. No, that's okay. No, that was really good. I was thinking to myself, like, what a good quote. Yeah, I know. Yeah. What, what did I say? <laughs> you get to read it. On I don't Facebook. know what the hell I'm talking about. Rachel from Hot Cross Puns. The briefest way that I describe it is just saying it's a little fun and offbeat embroidery work. Um, some of my pieces are. I don't know how to say this. <laughs> Rated R uh, for language, I guess. Um, but they're not all that way. Um, it really sort of encompasses my entire uh, sense of humor, I think. And some of that involves bad words. Um, but but like I said, not always. Um, my business is called Hot Cross Puns. So I started with a lot of uh, just little punny blips or a couple words with an accompanying picture of some sort that I think are funny. I think puns are hilarious. If somebody comes into a stand uh, when I'm doing an art show and they roll their eyes and immediately go, oh, I'm like, yes, they did it. That's, that is, that's the ultimate goal is making somebody shake their head in disgust. Success. Uh, yes. <laughs> we can cross off that question about how to define success. <laughs> Terry Robinson traveling or something I have a pocket dictionary and I also have a dictionary on my phone and I go through and I like almost delete all the negative words so I can always keep positive energy and so like I try to find the most positive words to like put into my vocabulary and so I continue to use that so like right now you know we have this whole like I don't even like using issue it's like a thing that needs a, a solution that's what I'm trying to like use so like we have this thing that needs a solution right and I told my whole, like everyone who's working on this team, I was like, we are not using the word try because try has the connotation that you might not do it. And so I'm never going to say like, oh, I'm going to try to pick up the dog. Like, no, I'm going to go pick up the dog because I can, there's no reason why I should fail in doing that situation. So we're going to, we're not going to try to have a show. We are going to have a show. Like no matter what happens, we're not going to fail at it. Becky Barcy. So right now, and there's a couple of pieces, I'm like working on this triptych that's inspired by one of my grad school teachers, George Creamer, who passed away a few months ago. Um, and he had this uh, very playful style of working within, um, there was a, a body of work that he did where he painted uh, within the shapes that you see in particle board or in plywood yep. board. Like, so he would identify different pieces within that and color it and put color in it. And uh, there, just his use of color and his play with shapes was something that was always very interesting to me. And so um, I, my work is kind of a combination of order and chaos. And I saw a lot of that within his, his compositions. There's the structure and the order of the plywood, but then this chaos of the, 
the textures that are weaving with the wood and then the color that was layered on top of it. So this triptych is kind of an homage to George Creamer. And I started with just this foundation of uh, washes of different acrylics and then started layering on top of them with um, found objects. And I've been working with a, a square format. Um, there's something very comforting about geometry. Yes, uh, I agree. That, yeah, and, and just having things be square, but yet the edges are not necessarily perfect. Like that's, there's torn pages um, and that there's textures within each of the objects. And so that uh, creates this balance of, of order and chaos within those. Steve Pambukas. The core of the service that we offer is the membership-based uh, structure. Uh, and really what that's doing is giving people access to, for a pretty small fee, you have access to hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of tools and equipment that most people would never be able to accumulate in a lifetime. And at its base, that's amazing having access to that. But then you also have access to other creatives. I'm guessing there's probably a lot of collaboration happening once folks you know, are integrated in. Definitely. De- definitely direct collaboration. And I've, I've called it one of the more uh, intangible benefits of mm-hmm. being part of the space. Um, and then even as I play through that, I called it intangible benefit for so long. There are actually examples that I can think of that were measurable, that interactions that I've had with other makers there have resulted in me learning a new skill. Yanka Morales. Well, if I'm a visual artist, what am I going to say? Who am I in the strata of history? And I feel like big connection of identity should be looking at yourself within the continuum of time. So I, I know my parents were Mexican immigrants to the United States and I was very assimilated into American culture, but I don't know. At some point it just became important to me to, you know, ask who I descended from. What got us here? I really feel like history matters now. A lot of the socioeconomic settings didn't just pop up 30 years ago. It's evolved over centuries and that matters. And I just, I love the work of my ancestors and I love the idea of merging Western and Mesoamerican cultures together. And I just also feel like uh, the social climate of our country there's been some stigmatization towards my people, even from the leader of my country. Scott Kukler. Will you talk a little bit about working with human models? Because between doing commercial where you're doing fashion photography and now you have a lot of figures in your photography, I imagine it's not always super easy to work with, um, you know, human people models. Well, yes and no. I mean, it's funny because I, I found that I've, I'm better off photographing people who aren't models. Interesting. You know, because models, like, generally have their pose repertoire down and do things that are more conventional. There's, of course, exceptions of people who are really expressive. But generally, like, I work with anybody who will pose for me. Oh, cool. And, you know, within the last five years or so, I've really been trying to expand it. I'm working with, uh, I've photographed people who are physically handicapped. I've photographed for the first time in this year, men, which was really a big, big change and Interesting. and transsexual and, 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 uh, any, you know, I'm really trying to expand my, my world that way. And, and I definitely support LGBTQ rights and women's rights and, and everybody's rights. So I felt that the best way that I could do that is to include them in my work. Mm-hmm. Sarah Duclos. And I was blabbing away about dance, as I do to everyone that I meet. <laughs> and he just says to me out of the blue, I would never pay money to go see a dance concert. <laughs> And I was like, this is right before we were supposed to have a delightful day with a bunch of our friends going apple picking. We had literally parked at the (laughs) apple orchard and we're walking. And I was like, you know, Leslie, nope. Like, I'm going to hang on to this, like, beautiful day. But what do you mean? (laughs) You would never pay money to go see a dance concert. How can you be friends with me and say these things? (laughs) (laughs) P.S. He probably has no idea that I, like, deeply ingrained this conversation. He does now. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I tried not to, like, get angry and, like, pull my face off, Beetlejuice style, and <laughs> say, chuck an, a- chuck yeah. an apple at yeah. him. Yeah, right here. 
fucking outfit. <laughs> right? Oh Seriously. So I, you know, collected myself and I said, well, why do you feel that? Please tell me. <laughs> With such composure. And, and thinking that it would make it better, but it actually made it worse. Briefly, he goes, well, it just, it's pretty and everything, but I don't get it. I don't, I just don't think it's a relevant art form to modern times. And I was like, oh, I hate you, but... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so then it became my inner, like, demon goal to get Jeremiah to pay for a ticket to go see one of our shows. And I knew that while Jeremiah may not have had an affinity for concert dance at the time, he sure did love going social dancing, and he also loved soul music. And I was like, great, you have now become my ideal customer avatar to pull some business <laughs> out and we are going to get you to pay to go see the show and guess who showed up in his blue suede shoes and threw down some money jeremiah (laughs) samaya kashi but so she had these long conversations with me and talking to other people from other countries they they were experiencing a lot of the same thing i had i mean you know similar rhetoric particularly really bad the last two years so I went on the JR thing I uh, looked him up I contacted them and I with Jessica we decided we're, I'm going to pursue diversity in the 603 and what was really important is not focusing on just people of color because after a lot of talking back and forth we realized that that would push a lot of people away and I really wanted it to be about everybody to show how we're really all very much the same. None of us were, you know, sprouted out out of Concord. Everybody came from somewhere and ended up in Concord. Um, And I mean, that's anywhere in the world, really. Anyhow, I went and talked to uh, Creative Concord. There's a group that I got together and and gave up my, gave my idea. I want to photograph people in Concord and I want to put these big posters up and they're, they're, huge posters and they're going to be all around Concord and they were like and I showed them a video from JR and they were like wow that's so cool yeah you know because they're really trying to bring more arts into Concord and and they said yeah can you come in two weeks and set up at market days to shoot I said two weeks (laughs) I'm like nothing (laughs) so I said okay enthusiastically and then laughed and was like oh my god (laughs) I have two weeks to get this together Brian Paul an uncommon first reaction, but my like gut instinct is to be like, but isn't it scary? Were you just like, you just kind of like got over it? Were you born fearless or does it take practice? No, no, no. I'm a, I'm a fearful person. I'm a fearful person for sure. Or anxious person, call it what you want. But I've at various points, I have done things specifically to confront a fear or, uh, you know, something that gave me anxiety and just go, I'm going to try it. And sometimes it's not fun and I don't do it again. And sometimes you find out that it's enjoyable and it's actually a way to cope or, you know, work through the thing that discomfort. And then you have a tool in your toolbox to deal with that. And that was probably a big motivator for doing it because improv is a way to access, like a lot of people will call it like, you know, flow state or you know, all those kinds of things of like being in a creative mindset where you're not really thinking about what you're doing. You're just, you're just doing this thing you know how to do. And there are lots of different ways to get there and access that. It's a pleasant mental space. And so I found that that is what it does for me. You know, I can get to a pleasant mental space and then all of those worries about, you know, fear or uh, anxiety or any of those things are just put aside. You don't have time to be concerned with it. And that if that starts creeping back in, you just, you know, dive into the work more. You keep going. So, Emmett Sildati. <laughs> but yeah, I think in so many ways, like Teetotaler has just been this conduit to welcome these voices and these perspectives. And that extends from like the, the creative, artistic, flamboyant expression of the, the, like we sort of have this, like people call it a rainbow wall or like this sort of mural wall mm. um, oh, that yeah. has landed in a lot of publications and our furniture and our the names of our breakfast sandwiches. All these things have been a collection of a lot of really wonderful people. Yeah. Yeah. The menu itself is a work of art. I just want to name a few that I pulled out. Um, the steamy, dreamy, creamy. So, okay, that was literally, I like a, a customer could not remember for whatever reason 
<laughs> we had a, like a particular hot cocoa that was not made the way most hot cocos are made. It was like we made like this dark chocolate fudge base and then we just poured foamed milk over it. So it's, it was like a latte, but instead of espresso, you used sort of this dark chocolate concentrate. And we had like some name for it, like dark chocolate hot cocoa or something. And she couldn't <laughs> remember it. So she's just like, whatever that steamy, dreamy, creamy thing is. And we're like, that's it. <laughs> that's, that's the name. Marsha Wood Mertinook. But, you know, for now, what I'm into is the, the two-dimensional, the paintings and the printmaking. And another thing I never thought I'd be doing, I do a lot of still life. Mm-hmm. And that was another thing. When I went to college, I was only ever interested in figurative work. I couldn't see how anyone found a still life interesting whatsoever. But I think that also informs the way that I approach my still life. If you look at my works, I... You know, and I didn't even realize I was doing this. I'm taking my still life subject matter and kind of making portraits Mm -hmm. of these things. And so I think each object kind of has its own its own life. Absolutely. You're taking very mundane, almost throwaway objects. In particular, I'm citing the I don't even know what you call them, the little tabs that are on loaves of bread to close and to seal it up. And what inspired you to focus on a series of those with beautiful, luscious patterns behind them and intricate, unique details on each of the tabs? You know, there's there's a couple of reasons. I mean, first of all, they're just an interesting piece of design. If you're really looking at them, they do the job that they're meant to do perfectly. (laughs) And we don't really think about that. It's something we kind of take for granted. It's there and we have it. And so for me, it's somewhat symbolic of motherhood. And it's something that has really tied in. These are things that I've started to notice just, you know, having become a mother, the things that we kind of overlook and take for granted that make our lives easier and possible that we're not really noticing so much. Things like the bread tab. (laughs) (laughs) That that our bread would be stale (laughs) if we didn't have this little tab to hold it shut. The most insightful take on bread tabs ever. (laughs) No, it's like a little piece of poetry. And next time I I go for the bread, I'm going to be thinking of that and I just love you know the other thing is I just love kind of in it's kind of in the same vein I love looking at things that are kind of trash kind of throw away you know and really saying you know what makes it trash why is it trash you know and uh examining that and really saying well maybe this trash is beautiful Becky Karish So I, I got really into it. I studied form and I studied the various poetic traditions and wrote a ton and won an award, which again was amazing and also can kind of ruin a young artist when you get a certain kind of attention when you don't know how to handle it, mm-hmm. you don't know what it means for your future, and then you don't replicate it. It's heartbreaking. So when I left my little bubble, went to college, I didn't have any skills for how do I live as a working artist, as a young person? Like, what is this world? And I didn't have the words for it back then. I just was completely heartbroken. But how do I stay connected to source, like my time with the page, and try to exist as a public person, which seems to be like where it's really cool and exciting. So that started the like long walk in the desert because I didn't know how to keep that source, connection to source. I really lost it for a long, long time. And I think with most people whose brains are set up to need to create, which is everyone. But for some people, it's a little more drastic. Like the consequences are more severe if they can't. I did anyway. Like we do anyway. We we plant gardens and we sing in choruses and we make friends and we cook. Yeah, Yeah, all the things because that's all the creative source. But it all felt second best. Mm. Really angry. Like it was a really angry time. Sarah Koff. Um, So last question, one we love to go out on. Um, If you could go back in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh, my gosh. I think to just be more chill (laughs) 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 and don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. And uh, and just to experiment. Actually, there's this advice by um, Lisa Congdon. She wrote, did you hear about her... um, book like how to be creative no oh it's so good um anyway so she writes like how to be an artist how to be creative how to tap your creative side and one thing that she said that really resonates with me is 
is always act like a beginner. And I think that when I was beginning, because I didn't have formal training, I didn't want to look like a beginner mm-hmm. because I was so aware that I was a beginner. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But yeah. like own it and be like asking all the questions and trying all the things. And I think I did that, but I could have done it so much more. So that's, that's cool. my advice. One of our own, Sarah Reitzman. Why did you start making? What inspired you? Why didn't you tell me? And how it has changed your life. Go. (laughs) Okay. I'll start by saying the piece I gave you for Christmas was my first ever gift. And you can tell because the back looks like garbage. And anybody who cross-stitches and embroiders are like, oh, girl, who cares about the back? Or, no, your back should be as neat as the front, depending on which side of that camp you're on. But that was my first ever piece. So half of your present was like the cross-stitch itself. And the other half was like, surprise, I learned how to (laughs) cross-stitch. One of our own, Laura Harper Lake. Let's talk about guts. What are the scariest parts for you and how do you tackle your fears? One of the scariest things is if you're the type of artist who is very much taking from within and using stuff that's happening internally and manifesting that so that others can see what's, you know, wearing your heart on your sleeve. It's wearing your heart on your canvas or on the dance floor or however you make what you make. That is very scary because A lot of folks are afraid of judgment. If you have stage fright, you know, you're nervous about being judged, about people thinking you're stupid, about people thinking you're ridiculous or dramatic or whatever negative thing that is the worst thing to you. When you make art and then you, especially when you hang it up on a wall, you actually are asking and seeking the world to look at it, whether or not you want them to judge it out loud, you are asking them to judge it in a way. And I think that is scary. Thomas Shea. What's your goal? Uh, So the first time I made music was I wanted to challenge myself to try and do it. The next time I made music, I was trying to get over a sort of traumatizing time in my life. Me and my wife's life. It was sad and I needed a distraction. I need something to work through. So that's what I did. I made music and I made music that would make me feel happy. I I hope that when people listen to my music, it makes them happy. You will very rarely find a Game Boy song that is downtrodden depressing comes to nothing there is no bass drop on a song that has a lead up to a bass drop no you're not getting disappointed you're getting your bass drop don't worry about it (laughs) and that's what my goal with my music is is to make people happy and hopefully people who hear it and are like well this guy's a chump i could definitely do better than that and i'll inspire people to make even better music Okay, that's our show. Happy birthday again to Creative Guts. It's been one heck of a year, and we could not be more proud of what we've created here or more thankful to have this beautiful community to share it with. We owe a huge thank you to Rose Bryant, the owner of Art Up Front Street in Exeter, New Hampshire, this podcast's home away from home, and the subject of the very first Creative Guts interview. Rose, your encouragement along the way has been so appreciated. We also owe a huge thank you to Raphael Bastek, a.k.a. Bug, for letting this podcast be a vehicle for your wonderful music. Our creative catalog series would not be the same without your tunes. And of course, we owe a huge thank you to all of our listeners. That's you, whether you've been with us since day one or you found your way to this podcast a little later. We're so glad that you're here. And of course, our first year wouldn't have been the same without all of our amazing guests. To our guests, Laura and I literally couldn't do it without you. You are the reason, not us, that our listeners keep on coming back. You're keeping us all inspired. And I'd like to give a nod to our future guests, too, for your patience during the coronavirus pandemic. Our list of guests is long, and trust us when we say that we really, really, really miss interviewing, and we can't wait to hear your story when it's time. 
We have a lot up our sleeves for year two of the Creative Guts podcast, and you don't want to miss a thing. So as always, come hang out with us, the Creative Guts team, online at creativegutspodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram, where our handle is Creative Guts Podcast. On next week's episode of the podcast, you're going to get some behind-the-scenes intel on the podcast, why we started it, the equipment we use, all the mistakes we've made, and everything we've learned along the way. So in the meantime, I'll just say, with that, show show us your creative guts. You want to just say, hi, my name is, and like just talk a little for testing hi my name is what my name is who <laughs> my name is sim shady and we already have our blooper <laughs> you set me off i'm sorry i'm also a huge music nerd and i love it i can turn any sentence into a song <laughs> with a dramatic reading Everybody's just networking. Everybody knows a it's ton so more true. creative. So. Yeah. yeah, but enough about you and back to me. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> totally kidding. Three, two, one. Show, show us, us your, your creative. Show us your yes. guts. creative guts. It gets so hard. It's like a train wreck. We just... <laughs> It's, it's the lag, I know. Like, we can, it's... It's like... It's the Zoom she's lag. She's saying it, but she isn't. Am I supposed to? <laughs> Let's try it again. We could try it again, but it's probably going to be sloppy as hell. Actually, and I haven't gotten to... Ooh, sorry, I banged it again. <laughs> you don't have to confess. Like, I'm stopping the whole flow when I hit the, the mic. So, interduplex. Interduplex. Inter- <laughs> they call me interduplex. I could say it fine, and then you <laughs> f- it up, and now I f- it up. Now try to say it. You won't be able to. I know it's impossible. We had chickens and ducks all the time, and my first duck's name was Van for Van Morrison. Oh, good. that's yeah. great. Yeah. You know he has stage fright. He doesn't perform anymore. Really? Ah, yeah. we should get him on the podcast. You can talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> We did it. Awesome. Thank you for having me. This is no, super thank fun. you. Hey, thank you. No, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Special thanks to Janet Jackson. That's right. <laughs>